Last Sunday, last Lord's Day, we looked at Luke chapter 5, where Jesus told Peter to let down his net for a catch, and in obedience, he did. And I challenged the church family last Sunday to let down your nets, to give the gospel to someone as the Lord led you and made it possible. I'm going to do something this morning right now. If you shared your faith this past week, I'm going to invite you to stand where you are and tell us what happened in 60 seconds or less. This is not pride. This is giving God the glory. Amen? Who would stand to their feet and tell us about sharing your faith this last week? I walk into McDonald's on Monday morning, and I stood on the line, and I met three young people. I think they go to the college of Bahamas. And I said to one of the gentlemen, I have two questions in this booklet for you. I didn't go to the, the uh, traditional way. I just, two questions. And I need you to answer them. And he opened it and he read the first question. He said, Oh, bad news. Then as he read, he continued to say, Oh, it's getting better. Good news. And when he got to the end of it, I said to him, Well, that's your decision to make. And he, I said, Once you finish it, pass it on. And that was it. Praise the Lord. And McDonald's, praise the Lord. Give God the glory. Someone else, you shared your faith this week, and you're willing to tell us about it. Yes, Brother Anthon. I said, um, last Sunday in the service, uh, during your uh, prayer time, I asked the Lord for a divine opportunity. And on Monday, as I was in the Subway restaurant in Palmdale, uh, this guy, gentleman met me, and he said, are you still singing? And I said, yeah. And I'm trying to place him where I know his face from. But uh, as I paid for my uh, lunch, uh, the Holy Spirit prompted me to go and sit with him and share the gospel. And I did so. I asked him if it would be fine for me to sit with him. And he said, sure. And we got to um, share in a brief conversation. And through through sharing about our lives and experiences, families and work and so forth, I just asked him the question, so what are you trusting in to get you to heaven one day? And it just went along and uh, uh, it concluded with him actually transferring trust from his uh, own good efforts uh, as as the way to get to heaven and placing his trust in Jesus Christ alone. And that was a marvelous experience last Monday. Give God the glory. Someone else, you shared your faith this week. Yes. <laughs> maybe it was the same man this week. <laughs> so maybe he's here today. If not, maybe he'll come if he got it twice. <laughs> And I also shared it in the doctor's hospital elevator when it closed yesterday. And I had this tag on. I said, I won't need this tag in heaven. I'll be mm. known. <laughs> and, mm. of course, I got such a frown on that lady's face. I didn't go any further. I hope those words would speak to her. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Give God the glory for that opportunity. This is a new week for us to let down our nets. The good news that Christ has died for sin and arisen. Yes, some, one more. This last one we have time for. Um, Monday, I started having a bad week. Well, Tuesday, Pastor Rob's um, email encouraged me. There's a girl on my camera, Gia, and I said, she's a nice girl. I gave her a talk. I said, Gia, will you read it? She said, Christopher, I'll do anything for you. So I said, 
So the next day I said, did you read it? She said, well, yeah, I did, but somebody gave me another try, and I read both. I said, well, what did you think? She said, well, Crystal, to tell the truth, what turned me off and people say they questioned and yeah the stuff I've seen him do it don't drive with me she said you know what I mean she said not you of course I I go okay I said but Will you give it some more thought and get back to me? She said, yeah, yeah, I will. And that's how far I got. Praise the Lord. Give God the glory. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Very good. This is a new week, a new week of opportunity for us to let down our nets. Remember, it's a matter of obedience. Letting down our nets is a command and it's a privilege. And I'm so delighted for those who shared what God did this past week as they prayed and sought opportunities to let down their nets. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we thank and praise you for the gospel going out from your people in this assembly. We pray that the incredible body of Christ this new week would be in prayer and willing to open our mouths to talk with people, maybe people we know and maybe people we don't know. Lord, may you add to our number through conversion growth, and may you get all the glory, all the credit that is so due to you. And we ask this, Lord Jesus, in your precious name and for your sake, amen. Incredible body of Christ, if we are going to share our faith, we are going to have to be perfectly clear about four things. We are going to have to be clear about what the gospel is. We're going to have to be clear about what God is asking the lost person to do. We need to be clear about how safe a person is in God's salvation once they receive it by placing faith in Christ. And last, we need to be clear about what drives God's salvation. I want to take these one by one quickly this morning. The first thing that you must be clear about and that I must be clear about is the gospel. The gospel means the good news, and we must share the good news as it has been defined in Scripture. So go with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 5, give us God's definition of the good news. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5, listen to God's definition of the gospel. Now I make it known to you, brethren... The gospel which I preach to you, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Now here comes the definition of the gospel. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared. 
The good news, the gospel about which we must be crystal clear, is that Christ died for sins and arose. That's it. Say it with me. Christ died for sins and arose. Again, Christ died for sins and arose. That's the gospel. Now, it says here that his death for sins was according to the scriptures. That is, it was prophesied, predicted in the Old Testament concerning Messiah. And it says that he was buried. That is proof that he physically died. They don't bury someone who's not physically dead. But that's half the gospel, that he died for our sins. The second half is that he was that he was buried and that he, he was raised. Here we go. Second part, he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared. He was raised or resurrected from the dead. According to the scriptures, it too was predicted and prophesied in the Old Testament that Messiah would die and raise from the dead, and it said that he appeared. That is proof that our Savior actually rose from the dead. He appeared. He appeared to individuals alive from the dead. He appeared to groups alive from the dead. He appeared to a group of 500 people in one setting alive from the dead. So the gospel, say it with me again, Christ died for sins and arose. Stronger? Christ died for sins and arose. Good. We must be clear about that. Crystal clear. Will you notice, and this is very important, that Christ died for sins. He didn't die for poverty. He didn't die for global warming. He didn't die for underachievement. He did not die for injustice. He did not die for ignorance. He did not die to save the rainforests or the whales. He did not die for missed human potentials. And he did not die for kingdom authority. He did not die for us missing out on our best life now. He died for sins. Because my biggest problem is sins, and your biggest problem is sins, and Bahamas' biggest problem is sins. And the world's biggest problem is sins. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God the Father made Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It says in Matthew 1.21 when the prediction of the virgin birth that Mary would be with child in a very special way, you shall name his you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Oh, yes. Jesus Christ is the sin remedy, and we must be clear, very clear what the gospel is. Say it with me. Christ died for sins and arose. That's the gospel. The second thing that we must be crystal clear about when we share our faith is what God is asking the lost person to do. And what God is asking the lost person to do is to transfer their trust from themselves, from religion, from human merit, from Christian heritage with parents and grandparents, to transfer their trust from anything other than Jesus over to Jesus alone. That's what God is asking the lost person to do, to transfer their trust over to Jesus alone, his person and his finished work. John, 1 John 5, let's go there. 1 John 5, verses 10 and 11, near the back of the New Testament. 1 John 5, 11 and 12, listen 
that God is asking the lost person to transfer their trust to Christ to be saved. 1 John 5, 11 and 12, and the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. If you underline in your Bibles, I would underline in his son. And the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. That's emphatic. That's narrow. Truth is narrow. If I need a brain surgery, I want a very narrow neurosurgeon. If I'm going to fly to Philadelphia, I want a very narrow pilot. Yes, we must be clear that what God is asking the lost person to do in order for God to save is that they transfer their trust to Christ alone. Let's go to John, back to the Gospel of John, chapter 5 and verse 24. John, chapter 5 and verse 24. And we're seeing the point that God wants the lost person to transfer their trust to Christ alone. And in John 5, 24, the, the verses in red letters in my Bible, Jesus said these things, truly, truly. When Jesus says, truly, truly, he's not saying that what he's saying there is truth and something else was watered down. No, he is the truth. So whatever he said is truth. But when he says, truly, truly, he's saying, listen up. This is important. Jesus is saying with truly, truly, this you cannot miss. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And believes him who sent me has eternal life. It does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Acts 3, verse 19. Go with me there. Acts 3. Verse 19, what does God ask the lost person to do in order to receive eternal life, forgiveness of sins in heaven one day? Acts 3, verse 19, repent therefore and return that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The context surrounding Acts 3.19, is that these were rejectors of Christ. These were people who were not transferring their trust to Christ when he was on earth. And so the verse says, repent about that. Change your mind about Jesus, who he is, what he did. Change your mind about Jesus so you transfer your trust to him alone for forgiveness in heaven. What does God Ask the lost person to do, to transfer his or her trust off of him or herself onto, squarely onto Jesus alone. You ever done that? It didn't ask you if your parents had done that. It didn't ask you if your Sunday school teacher did that. It didn't ask you if your church stands for that. I asked, have you? ever acknowledged your sin before God and transferred your trust from anything you could do that the scriptures call filthy rags in Isaiah and transferred your trust fully unto Jesus. You need to do that. Because salvation, like any gift, has to be received. And the Bible says that salvation is received by the hands of faith in Christ. 
I call you, I implore you, I beg you in Jesus' name to transfer your trust to Christ if you never have. Walking into this beautiful church building no more makes you a born-again Christian than walking into a garage makes you a mechanic. What is the gospel? Say it with me. Christ died for sins and arose. What is God asking the lost person to do? Transfer, say it with me, transfer trust to Christ alone. That's what God's asking the lost person to do. We must be clear about this. And you know what? The great thing is when we make him clear, Christ becomes dear. When we make him clear, Christ becomes dear. Going on. What is the third thing that God wants his followers, his evangelists, to be clear about? God wants us to be clear about how safe someone is in God's salvation once they receive it by faith in Christ. How safe we are in God's salvation once we are in that salvation by transferring our faith to Christ alone. The Bible teaches that salvation from sin is all of God's grace, not of our efforts. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one will boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Salvation is by grace, but being kept safe in our salvation, secure in Christ's salvation of us, is also based on grace. The Bible teaches that grace saves us, and grace keeps us safe in the salvation. The Bible teaches the perseverance of the saints, the fifth of five points in the scheme of understanding God's work called Calvinism. God's Bible teaches us that once we're saved, we're always saved. But once we're saved and always saved, we aren't to high-handedly sin, safe in God's salvation. Galatians. The whole book talks about the warning for doing that. Once we're saved, we're always saved, and we must logically live a thank you kind of life back to a Savior that would save us. Amen? Amen. So let me give you some examples that teach that God's preservation, God's salvation for the believer is of his grace and keeps that believing believer safe. Noah's Ark. Noah was righteous because he had faith in God as revealed to him in the book of Genesis. God said, build an ark. What's an ark? I'll show you, God said. God gave him the dimensions and the kind of wood he should build it out of. And there he was building this ark in faith, obedience to God. What are you doing, Noah? I'm building an ark. What's an ark? God showed me it's a boat. Why do you need a boat? Because the world's going to be globally flooded. What's water? What's a flood? God told me to do it. I'm going to do it. And will you notice that after Noah built this ark in faith and obedience to God, that his family came on board along with the animals to be saved, and there was no rope on the inside of the plank door to get into the ark. Noah didn't even shut the door. He didn't pull on a rope from the inside of salvation. God shut the door of the ark, it says, in Genesis 7, verse 16. Similarly, when we are in the ark of safety and deliverance and salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone, God closes the door of that salvation and keeps it sealed. Keeps it 
sealed. No leaks. Everyone on the ark was preserved safely, and they exited the ark after the waters receded. Take another example. When Jesus was teaching an uppity-upright doctor, Jewish seminary teacher named Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus knew that Jesus was teaching with authority about God and about heaven. And Nicodemus came by night because he was embarrassed to come by day. After all, he had all the theological answers in Israel, but he didn't. And he came to Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to Christ by night. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Born again is a Bible word. You must be born again. Jesus, with all the metaphors at his disposal to teach this seminary Jewish teacher about heaven, used the metaphor of birth. Why? Because rebirth in Christ creates spiritual life where there once was spiritual death. Now, if you are blessed as a married couple with children, and you teach your children about Jesus and about the Bible, and you try to lead them to saving faith in Christ, and maybe they trust Jesus, they transfer their trust to him alone, but then they go off the path, making poor decisions and departing from fellowship with the Savior that they know. If they come back to Christ, to live under his lordship. If they come back to your family and they say this, I was dead wrong. Can I be a Jones again? You're always a Jones. Your identity was settled when you were born into the Jones family. But if you're saying that you want to live again with the values and the beliefs of the Jones family, then that's another story. God's grace saves us. God's grace keeps us. Noah's ark, the metaphor of rebirth. Go with me to John 10 to see one more evidence that once we're saved, we're always saved. John 10, uh, verses 27 to 30. Again, these are red-letter verses. If you have a red-letter Bible indicating the Lord Jesus spoke them. And he says in John chapter 10, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish. They shall never perish. Do you know what never means in Greek? Never. They shall never perish. Watch this. And no one, no one, shall snatch them out of my hand. Jesus said, that includes the believer himself. The believer himself cannot extract salvation that he's received or she's received, even if they wanted to, when they're disobedient. And I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Watch this. This is the nail-scarred hand of Jesus. This is the Father's figurative hand because he is spirit. But let's imagine God having a hand, God the Father. Watch the verse while I read and watch my hands. My sheep hear my voice and I know them, and they follow me. 
and I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand, Jesus says. Going on. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. If you're saved, you're in the nail-scarred grip of Jesus Christ. No one can break that grip. But that's not, not the only security you have. You're also in the figurative hand of God the Father, and you are safe. You're safe. You're safe. We don't abuse our safety. God forbid. But we're safe. God wants you to be clear about that. God wants you to be clear about what the gospel is. Say it with me. Christ died for sins and arose. God wants you to be clear about what he's asking the last person to do. Say it with me. Transfer trust to Christ alone. God wants you and me to be clear about how safe a person is in salvation. The way to say that is two words. Double security. Say that. Double security. Say it again. Double security. We're to be clear about the gospel. We're to be clear about what God is asking the lost person to do. We are to be clear about how safe we are in that salvation. And again, if we make him clear, Christ is dear. If we make him clear, Christ is dear. I promise you. I promise you. If we make him clear, Christ if we make him clear, Christ is near. Last thing in this message. What's the fourth thing that God wants us to be crystal clear about? It's what, what drives God's salvation. What drives God's salvation is one thing that God wants us to be clear. Not blurry. Clear. And what drives God's salvation is grace. God's salvation is driven by God's grace. It's that simple, but that profound. God's grace is his unmerited favor toward us, a favor that we cannot earn. God's grace is God giving us the good that we do not deserve. God's grace is giving you the good you don't deserve. God's grace as an acrostic G, God's, R, riches, A, at, C, Christ, E, expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. It drives salvation. Grace, what God is free to do once Christ died on the cross. What God is free to do once Christ died on the cross. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we quoted that a little while ago. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone boast. Heaven is a gated community. You cannot get to heaven as an entitlement because you have a pulse. Heaven is a gated community. It's God's home. He has the right and prerogative to welcome into his home 
those he wants to welcome into his home. And the way he welcomes us into his home is he extends grace, common grace and specific grace in Christ. Whosoever will may come to transfer trust to Christ alone. But those who will be in heaven are there because of God's grace driving their salvation. The operating principle for God's salvation is his grace. I have a Surface Pro 2-in-1 laptop. The operating system for my laptop is Windows 8. The operating system for God's salvation is his grace. His grace. It will be impossible for you or me to overemphasize God's grace. God's grace will be the music line of heaven for eternity. What drives God's salvation is his grace. We are no longer in a religious mindset of performance-based acceptance. Every other world religion except biblical Christianity has a performance-based acceptance. If you do this, if you keep this, if you achieve this, you'll be given heaven, maybe. God's Grace-driven salvation is on Christ-based acceptance, not performance-based acceptance. If God has a wallet, your picture is in his wallet if you've trusted Jesus to be your Savior. And your picture is in God's wallet figuratively because he loves you and has grace for you. Grace means that God cannot love you any more than he already does. And God's grace means God cannot love you no less than he already does. You're in his wallet. Grace. Christ-based acceptance. Remember the story of the prodigal? Prodigal goes off in the faraway country and lives with pigs. Spent all his money. Lives with pigs. And that's a bad job if you're a Jew. Eating the food of the pigs that got that grim. He comes to his senses and he goes back to his father and he says, Father, I'm unworthy to be your son. Treat me as a hired hand. And the father who noticed him on the horizon because of grace, he was looking on the horizon every day for his son's repentance. And when he saw his son on the horizon coming back from the faraway land, grace moved that father to run to the lad and throw his arms around him. You know what? Fathers in that culture ran for nothing. It was undignified for a father to run for any purpose. But the father in the story of the prodigal, a picture of God the father, runs to the prodigal who's repentant because of grace. Then there was the older brother. The older brother wants to know what's happening. He smells the barbecue. What's going on? Your brother who was dead is now alive and we must celebrate. I'm not going in there. I'm not going in there. You never gave a barbecue for me. And all these years I've been slaving at the farm. Revealed his hard attitude, didn't it? People who are on performance-based acceptance sooner or later get angry with God because they're frustrated. 
God is much more for them. He has grace. The father had grace for the oldest son. He said, you've always been with me, but this brother of yours was lost and dead, and now he's come back home. We must party. Oh, brother, sister, if you labor under the weight of performance-based acceptance this morning, I'm here to tell you that what drives your salvation is God's grace. Christ's riches, God's riches at Christ's expense. We must be clear, be clear, be clear, because if we make him clear, Christ is dear. There is a country, there are neighborhoods, there are families, maybe your family, who need to see that Christ is dear. And they will when we make him clear. His gospel, what he's asking a lost person to do, how safe a saved person is in God's salvation, and what drives the salvation of God. If we make him clear, Christ is dear. In closing, let me say this. If we are unclear about these things, a mist in the pews is a fog on the streets. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning that in the scriptures you have spoken and you have not stuttered. Help us to keep clear what you have clearly outlined for us as your children. Lord, help us in obedience this week to let down our nets. Help us to be clear as we do so. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name and for his sake. And the forgiven said, Amen.